When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining. On today's episode, we have a lot to get to. We're going to be going over my portfolio. I'll share my top holdings and how they've been performing. Spoiler alert, they have been doing very well. The stock market is doing well. Most of the stocks that I've been investing in have had significant gains over the past few months, and my overall gains have now passed $60,000 in value. So this is exciting, but it begs the question, what do we do now? What do we do when stocks have raced up in price, Things are starting to get expensive. In fact, the entire market, the S&P 500 overall, is more expensive than it has been for a very long time. What do we do in this scenario? Do we keep buying even though the price goes up? Do we look for different companies? I'm going to be explaining my thought process about investing in what seems to be an expensive market. Now, we also have the news that inflation came in and once again, it was higher than expected with a reading of 5.4%. That is pretty high, 5.4% inflation, higher than the expectations. Jerome Powell said that he expects inflation to moderate, but it will likely remain elevated this entire year. So he thinks until at least the end of 2021, inflation will remain elevated. Now, inflation at 5.4% tells me that we need to hedge against it. If you keep your money in cash, it's going to be eaten away by inflation. The question has been for a long time, what is the hedge against inflation? And Jeremy Siegel actually called into CNBC and he explains what he thinks is the ultimate hedge against inflation. The one type of subset of asset that he thinks will hedge against inflation better than anything else. We also have some news for Disney. Black Widow was a success. And more importantly, it was a success for Disney+. Plus. Over $60 million of the $218 million that it made total came from Disney Plus alone with their Premier Access. That is an enormous amount of money for the Premier Access, seeing that it was shown in theaters as well. So this goes along with the recurring theme that more and more of these type of big blockbuster movies are going to be monetized in your house, in your home, rather than the theater. So I'll be giving my thoughts on this and what this means for the future of Disney. And on a related note, Netflix is being gamed by the TV series Manifest. Yes, you heard that right. The platform Netflix is being gamed. It's being used and abused by the Manifest audience. If you're a Netflix subscriber, you may have noticed that the TV series Manifest is constantly on the trending list. It's on either number one or number two or number three of the top 10 most watched TV series today. It's constantly there. And it's been this way for over a month now. Why is Manifest so popular? Well, I'm going to answer that question in today's episode. So we have a lot to jump into in this episode, a lot of topics to cover. If you haven't already, before we get into all of this, check out the Patreon. There's a link in the description. You get access to a Discord community. You get access to a dividend tracking spreadsheet and website, exclusive episodes, and a lot more fun stuff. And of course, it also helps support the channel and support the production of more episodes. So I appreciate everybody that is a current supporter. Now, let's first go ahead and jump into my portfolio. I'll give a quick update of what's going on with it because so far over the past few months, the performance has been pretty good. 
to say the least. I think it's been very good with this portfolio. Most of the companies that I've picked and invested in have performed very well over the past few months. Now, I say that a little bit, you know, knock on wood, this could change at any time. The last time I thought my portfolio was doing really well was beginning of 2020. And we all know what happened. Coronavirus happened. Uh, The stock market went down like crazy. I actually went from way into the green to in the red. So maybe that could happen in the future. Maybe there's something around the corner. But as of right now, the performance of this portfolio has been, in my opinion, incredibly good. In fact, if we look at the capital gains, in just the past month, we're up $10,000, 4.14%. That's almost double the performance of SPY over the past 30 days. If we look at the earned dividends, it's not just capital appreciation, but we have $823 of earned dividends in the past 30 days. That's a lot of passive income. So this portfolio is meeting my goal of generating a lot of passive income while at the same time maintaining capital appreciation. I'm getting both of them. Now, if we look at my very top holdings, these are the companies that form the foundation of my portfolio. It's what all of these gains and all of this money is centered around is big investments into these key companies. The very top one is Apple. I've made a deliberate choice to put a lot of my exposure into Apple because I think it was one of the best companies in a risk-reward profile. I thought it had very low downside and ample upside. It's a very stable company that I don't think has as much regulatory risk as other big tech companies. And I see a lot of characteristics in this company. Now, I'm not going to go over Apple because I've already outlined my bull case, but I want to do a quick update on it. The current value has crept above $50,000 in Apple. So $13,950 of that is just market gains. That's not even counting the dividends, which I've earned at least $500 in dividends from Apple. So the gains on this one have been very good so far. The company continues to perform. If we look at the overall performance of Apple, just today it's up another 2.2% while the market's pretty flat. Year to date, it's only up 15%. So how am I doing so well on Apple when it's only up 15% while the S&P 500 is up more than that over the same time period? That's because of the times that I invested in this company. I made my first very large investment in Apple right around $90 a share, so right here. Of course, it continued to go up quickly after that. But then I made my most recent investment, another $10,000, right at $125. So since then, since that latest $10,000 purchase, it's up nearly 19%. With Apple, there's a lot of people that say, It's going to have tough comparables. It's not going to perform well over the next couple of years. I entirely disagree. I think the company will be trading within the $200 range or above that over the next couple of years. That's what my opinion is on Apple. No guarantees. I can't see the future. There's risk with investing in any of these companies. But the digital transformation that's happening, the amount of people that have been purchasing their devices that are entangled in their ecosystem and that will be signing up for services, I think is dramatically higher than what it was a couple years ago. And I see the growth of Apple continuing on their device business and their service business. Now, my second largest holding right underneath Apple is J.P. Morgan Chase, the biggest bank in the United States. The current gains are $7,000 in capital appreciation and another $600 in dividends. J.P. Morgan is a big dividend payer. The total value is $25,700. So a good portion of this holding is currently gained. Now, why have I done so well on J.P. Morgan? It's all about when I bought the stock. That really is the answer. I haven't held it for years. In fact, JP Morgan is one that I piled a lot of money in when I saw an opportune moment. There's two things that happened with JP Morgan Chase. In February of 2020, it became clear that the coronavirus was going to be a big issue in the United States. That's when the banks sold off nearly 40%. 
So JP Morgan was down 40% from its all-time highs. And then the stock traded around at a very suppressed price all throughout 2020. I started doing research on banks and finding that they're really not in trouble. They're well capitalized, they had more than enough money, there wasn't any type of systemic risk, and it wasn't going to be a repeat of 2009. So I decided to make a pretty decent investment in this company before other investors came to the same realization. And then at the end of October in 2020, it seemed like investors came to the same realization when JP Morgan released earnings statements and they had stress tests showing that the banks were completely fine. Since then, it's traded up nearly 57%. Now in third place under JP Morgan, we have Disney. This is my third biggest holding. This is a company that I had a pretty big holding of before the pandemic. And my gains went into the red by a huge margin. I was in the red with the stock. I decided not to sell. And in fact, I doubled down on it, buying more shares at suppressed prices, and it came back into the green. And currently, I'm up around $4,400 on this stock with a total value of $24,600. Now, Disney has been a stock that follows the streaming service. It is a streaming story now. In late 2020, when investors realized that the streaming service was growing rapidly, the stock price of Disney went up rapidly. And then the stock hit a peak in March of 2021, when investors realized that the streaming service may not keep up this rapid growth. Once the growth slowed of Disney+, Plus, the stock started to trend downwards, and that's where we're at right now. I think that this stock will continue to follow Disney+. Plus. If Disney+, Plus is a success, Disney stock will be a success. If it's not, then the stock will probably trade down. Now, my next largest individual holding outside of Disney is Vici, and this is a new one to my portfolio. Currently, I'm in the red because I just built up this position, so I need to give this one time to appreciate and to grow and to pay me dividends. It pays above a 4% starting yield. I think it will have ample revenue growth. It's inflation protected, and I think it will be one of these companies that I'll make very good gains with. The other companies that I've invested in in real estate recently has been Store Capital, and this one has been incredibly good performing. If I compare my holding size of store capital, the $13,768 to the gains, $5,000 of that being gains, around 45% of this holding is just from gains. So this one likewise has performed very well. So looking at my top holdings and the companies that I've been investing in, I'm very happy with the performance overall. The question is, what do I do in this situation? The prices of these companies are going up, the stock market's going up, and things are becoming more and more expensive every single week. In fact, if we look at the PE ratio of the S&P 500, you notice something. It's very high compared to its historical norms. It's at 46.49%. Now, this is a trailing PE ratio, meaning it's based off of the earnings last year, which of course I think can make this look a little bit higher than it actually is because last year the earnings went down for a good portion as the economy was shut down. So this 46.49 is very high, but this isn't the most accurate graph in my opinion. But even looking at the S&P 500 PE ratio on a forward basis, even looking at those companies on their future projected earnings, it's still pretty high. It's at a 21.5 which if you can see on this graph, it's much higher than the historical norm. You have to go way back to 2001 to get back to when it was at 21.5, the same that it's at right now. The Ford PE ratio of the S&P 500 has not been this high in the past 20 years. You literally have to go back 20 years to find the market more expensive than it is today. And that is, of course, when you enter into the territory 
of the dot-com bubble. So what do we do in this situation? We know that the S&P 500 and the market, based off of its own projected earnings, is very expensive. Now you might say, Joseph, if the stock market is very expensive right now, based off of its earnings and its P.E. ratio, then why don't you just hang on to cash, right? Wait for a more opportune time to buy these stocks. The issue with that is, is that inflation is running very high right now. Jerome Powell says that it's going to remain high throughout the rest of this year. The latest data just released on Tuesday is that the consumer price index increased 5.4% in June from a year earlier. 5.4% inflation. So if you had a lot of money, if you had $20,000 or $100,000 in savings waiting for a time to invest in stocks, you're losing money every single month that you're sitting it there. Inflation is slowly but surely eating away at your savings. All right, so cash isn't the place to keep your money. Stocks are very expensive right now. What about real estate? Well, we run into the same issue. Many home buyers are dropping out of the market because they simply can't buy a home. There's bidding wars, too much competition, and the prices have already soared for any decent piece of real estate. Now, I want to get to this interview with Jeremy Siegel because he runs through this same issue. He runs through all the different options and what he believes is the best place to keep your money if you want it to be inflation protected. I do think that the the only inflation protected yield because there's going to be much more inflation, is really the dividend-paying stocks. So if you're into that sort of market, you're going to, they will become attractive later on. Um, you know, treasuries, yeah, one and a half, and inflation is going at six, seven, eight, nine. Bank accounts, your money is just disappearing. Municipals the same way. You want to go into tips, minus 1% yield. So, you know, if you're, if you want that income, I still think that people are going to look around and say that th- those dividend-paying stocks are where, where I'm going to go. He's 100% correct. Dividend-paying stocks are the only game in town when it comes to having inflation-protected yield. They're the best option by far, in my opinion, and in Jeremy Siegel's. What are you going to do? You're going to invest your money into treasuries, earn a 1.3% yield with duration risk at a time where inflation's at 5%. Your real returns are negative, and it's far more negative in a savings account. The reason that I've purchased Vici is because it fits the profile of a company that in an expensive market, I don't think this company is expensive. It's trading at a very reasonable price. Vici has a price to funds from operation of 16.9. Funds from operation is kind of like the P.E. ratio of real estate, and this is not historically high. In fact, looking at the multiple of this company's price to free cash flow, it stayed relatively the same for the past three years. It hasn't inflated in cost and the multiples haven't expanded like other companies. So for a company that hasn't been racing up in price and the multiples haven't been expanding like the rest of the market, Vici right now has above a 4% starting yield. That's pretty good today. That is a good starting yield compared to treasuries or your savings account or anywhere else that you can place money. Now, another thing that's different about Vici's yield compared to treasuries or savings account is that Vici is inflation protected. Every single one of their leases, like the Venetian, has inflation protected assets, meaning that they can charge either 2% more per year or they raise it by the level of CPI, the level of inflation. So if inflation runs rampant for longer than expected, the owners of Vici have written that into the contract that they can adjust the rent upwards to inflation. So even if inflation does run hotter than expected for longer, these type of dividend-paying stocks do protect you from that by paying you out more and more every single year. And if inflation runs very hot, Vici will be raising the rent even more because they can charge their tenants even higher rents.
So with the stock market continuing to rise like it has been, I'm going to be more strategic and more particular about the companies that I'm buying. I'm focusing on companies that I think have reasonable valuations, ample upside, and inflation protections. Vici Property stands out as one of those examples, but I'll be looking at more companies like this in the future, and I'll let you know what I find. Now moving on and changing subjects a little bit, we have to mention this story. This is Disney flexing their muscles. They've grown their streaming service, it's pretty big right now, over 100 million subscribers, and they're starting to show that they are the 800-pound gorilla. They're not going to be bullied by movie theaters. And this is a balance of power that you're seeing shift in real time. The power is shifting from the movie theaters, which used to be the distribution platform for this type of content, and they were the ones that could bully the studios, to now the studio has become the content distributor. They have Disney+. Plus. And they're no longer going to be bullied. This is Disney flexing their muscles, showing that they're the powerful one in this relationship. The Black Widow Stunner. Disney's streaming revenue reveal may be a game changer. I think this is an accurate title from The Hollywood Reporter. They say that the conglomerate says the superhero pick made more than $60 on Disney Plus premiere access during its opening weekend. A sizable 27% of its global $218 million hybrid streaming box office debut. So... Disney Plus made up $60 million of the $218 million total. Now, they mention in this article that Disney even releasing this information was stunning to both theater owners and Hollywood studios, other rival Hollywood studios, because none of them, nobody has released this type of information down to this level of detail. And so Disney released it, and now they're trying to figure out why. Why would Disney release this level of information? I think right here in the article... It outlines the reason why. They say other sources believe Disney may be trying to send a message to some exhibitors overseas who are reluctant to play Black Widow because of the day and date release. So Disney had an argument with some movie theater companies in Japan who weren't willing to work with Disney because they wanted their terms for Disney to meet. And Disney said, we're not going to do that. We want the movie theaters to play our movies when we want them and when we don't. We don't want to have to agree to have our movie in the theater for longer than 45 days. So they've always had these type of disagreements, and it's always ended with the movie theaters having the leverage and having the power because they're the ones distributing the content. But this has obviously changed. Disney is revealing these numbers to flex their muscles and show that they're no longer reliant on the movie theaters and that they're no longer going to be bullied by the movie theaters. They're going to release their movies how they want and they don't need the movie theaters in order to do that. The balance of power and leverage is steadily shifting in favor of streaming services. Now, when Disney released this note of how Black Widow performed with this breakdown of numbers, it made investors very excited. The stock is up 8% in just the past week, and they're excited for a couple of reasons. One of them is that just the movie's doing well, and that's great that the stock is doing well because the movie's doing well, but I think more importantly, investors should be excited that Disney isn't reliant on other companies. They have vertical integration of their content from their studios into your homes, and they don't need to work with other people in between. So they are much more autonomous with their approach. They can control their own destiny. And as this company continues to grow their streaming service, you're going to see a lot more of this muscle being flexed in the future. Now, on the subject of streaming services, we have to talk about Netflix and how this company is being abused and taken advantage of. It's literally being gamed every single day, and it has been for the past month. I've noticed this trend, and I noticed it so much that I I actually looked up to see why this TV series, Manifest, 
was on the top 10 trending list of Netflix every single day for over a month. Every single time I open Netflix, Manifest is usually within the top three. I checked out the series. I watched one of the episodes. I wasn't too impressed. It wasn't terrible. It was a little overdramatic, but it did not deserve to be on the top 10 trending list. It was not that good of a series that it would stick on the top 10 for over a month at a time. That never happens for even extremely good TV series. So what is going on here? Why will this TV series not get off the top 10 trending list? Well, it turns out that there's an actual conspiracy here. There's actually something going on that I believe is an abuse of the trending list on Netflix. Forbes has an article saying that if you've turned on Netflix lately, you have noticed a singular show planted at number one at all times, at least in the US, and that would be Manifest. The NBC mystery series that was canceled after three seasons and the hashtag save Manifest fans that have been trying to prevent the demise ever since. That's right. The fans of this show are watching it on repeat over and over again to artificially inflate the numbers of viewership, which makes it go on the trending list. And the fans are so dedicated to trying to get this show revived after it's been canceled that they have entire Twitter accounts and social media campaigns dedicated to hashtag save manifest. Now, of course, the result of this show being on the trending spot all the time brings in more curious viewers to see why is this show on the top trending spot? It must be good. It's always here. So people are watching it. They're enjoying it. I should probably check it out as well. But that's obviously not the case. This show really isn't a trending show. It's the same group of people deliberately breaking the analytics for Netflix and pumping this onto the trending spot when it really doesn't belong. So there you have it. This is what the world's coming to, and I don't know what to believe anymore. We have people pumping and dumping stocks and cryptocurrencies, and now I can't even trust the integrity of my Netflix trending show list. It's gotten to that point where I can't even trust my Netflix shows anymore. This is something that hopefully Netflix will correct in the near future. This abusive and manipulative behavior by Manifest fans. You should all be ashamed of yourself. That's all for today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure to subscribe and like the video, all that good stuff. And I'll see you next time.